I purposely didn't have a sales team for at least sort of two and a half years or two years since the initial launch. Uh, and the strategy was there, I didn't want to say, okay, it's that team over there who's responsible, good or bad for scaling. Okay. It had to be everyone owned it. So whether you are the compliance lead, the risk lead, the office manager, the comms marketing, doesn't matter. Mm. You should be talking to businesses and you should be understanding what they need. Building Businesses, the brand new podcast from YBF Ventures. My name is Jason Lim. I'm the chief of staff here at YBF, and the goal of the podcast is to find out how businesses grow by talking to the people that are actually doing it. So before we get into it, you can subscribe to People Building Businesses in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and there's also a video version on YouTube. This week's guest is Square's head of Asia Pacific, Ben Fister. Ben has a hugely impressive career history with roles in Deloitte, Jetstar, NAB, and Visa before starting his own company, Kinetic Innovation, which was a solution developer within the mobile banking, payment, and e-wallet industries. While working on his startup, Ben got the call from Square, who were looking to launch their product in Asia. Square was founded by Twitter's Jack Dorsey in 2009 as a means of facilitating payments for small businesses. The latest figures are that 60,000 businesses in Australia are now using Square. Okay, let's talk to Ben Fister. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jason. Quite an intro. Thank you. No worries. And, uh, you know, usually I I like to start these things by getting to know Ben the person uh, before the career. So maybe could you talk about where you grew up, um, some early influences, and I guess how that led you eventually into leading such a large organization like Square? Where I grew up, I worked my way up from the bottom, the badlands of Camberwell. East ah, of interesting. Yeah, uh, definitely the right side of the tracks there, so it wasn't too tough. <laughs> um, from there, uh, yeah, I went, went to Melbourne High School, which was a great school for me. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Coming out of university, uh, I quickly realized that I didn't know what I wanted to do. So the best thing for me was to get into uh, an employer situation where I could see diversity and start finding out new things. And for me, that was management consulting. Sure. Uh, so very lucky to start working at Deloitte. And did that for a number of years and then sort of realized I got pretty sick of pretending I knew what I was talking about Yep. Uh, and wanted to actually learn something that was real, so something in, in industry. Uh, the good thing about working at a management consultancy firm like Deloitte, you do gain one key skill, which is an ability to think very quickly uh, analyze the situation, come up with a viewpoint, and then start influencing change within a relatively short period of time. Sure. Uh, and it's quite a skill to do that in any given segment. So uh, I was pretty confident going into a new industry that I could back it up and do something interesting. So w- was very lucky to join Jetstar around the launch uh, and then scale up from there. So for me, you know, I was a little bit younger in my career. So yep. um, lucky enough to do a lot of different things in the commercial venture space, but just try a heap of stuff. And that business, as we know today, is a massive part of uh, the airline industry in Australia. But yeah, learned a lot of stuff, went through a lot of different things, which is great. Uh, came across payments for the first time there, kind of looking into the business case of Jetstar credit and debit cards and loyalty okay. systems. Uh, if you ever want a bit of fun, try building a business case in that. Um, <laughs> for an airline, yeah, yep. Yeah, very, very tricky. Uh, and then went to work for NAB and had a really weird role there where I 
uh, actually part of Andrew Thorburn's team at the time, um, broader team, about if, if ideas came in or business opportunities or partnerships or innovation, uh, me and a colleague would look at them and run the numbers over them, work out whether they're worth doing. A lot of things we looked at. One thing that stumbled across my desk was this concept of VMV cards and contactless cards and then mobile payments. Obviously, it was just a concept back then. And for some reason, I loved it and stuck my teeth into it and battled the bank to deploy contactless cards. Yep, fantastic. Did a mobile payments pilot there. And yeah, went through a few corporates from there, obviously going off to Visa to run innovation across the region uh, and most notably looking after contactless deployment. But yeah, pretty quickly realized after that um, that... Yeah, corporate world wasn't for me. Um, but there wasn't the lively scene of entrepreneurialism and startups that there are today, even sure. though we still think it's small. Uh, so yeah, um, started my own business, uh, which absolutely loved, but learned a lot of harsh lessons. Uh, and then once it was really sort of kicking off, I got a call from a headhunter, which was all about Square. Uh, I didn't tell me who it was, but they said that, um, yeah, I can't tell you who the, what the company is, but it was someone involved with social media and payments. And so it's very vague. Very it's vague, a very broad very range of companies. Yeah, I thought about it for all of one second and went, that's probably the best company I know in the world. So I'll yep. have a piece of that. So yeah. And since then, grown Square in Australia. And um, before we delve into your time at Square, it looks like you've done a heap of interesting things in your, in your past career lives, I guess. Um, so you're one of the team members that launched Jetstar in Australia. What was, like, what was it like doing that, launching an airline from day one and scaling it to become one of the most iconic airlines today yeah i mean it was a crazy experience and the, the, the i don't think that i realized the lessons i was learning at the time till afterwards sure uh, but they are they keep coming back to me over time about the different phases you can go through when you scale a company so big and that's not a small scale startup at all that really went big and i met a lot of headwinds in scaling and trying to launch and gain market penetration obviously the business model was different so it was controversial um but yeah i, I learned an incredible amount from that not so much about the airline industry. I don't think I okay. was probably the most passionate airline person. You get very passionate airline people. But I did learn a lot about culture and how it can go right and how it can go wrong. Uh, and actually sort of seeing the way Alan Joyce ran the business as well. Right. I started realizing there was different ways to manage people and influence people. And ultimately, I had a lot of respect for him. You can be a very sharp operator, but you can also be a, a nice person. So uh, we had a lot of lessons along that and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yep. And it seems like you've uh, you've sort of taken these two to three year stints at all these different corporates yep. before eventually landing at Square, where you've now been in charge since 2014, an extended period of time. So I guess what you're saying is true that uh, there's the difference of culture in those corporates. Could you just describe what the difference is working for all those different corporates and eventually ending up in a in a innovative and exciting startup like Square, what kind of differences attracted you to joining a company like Square? Yeah, sure. I think we'll look back. The reason I kept changing is I, I think particularly when you're young out of university, people talk about what you want to be when you grow up or what you want to do when you're older. I realized pretty quickly I had no idea. Okay. Uh, so so yep. my idea was well, I can't work out what I want to do, so I want to just start eliminating what I don't want to do. Sure. And so that's like the two-year thing. Once I got bored or once there wasn't enough sort of everything when I worked in as big corporates, there was always a part of it that was being sort of aggressively deploying some new technology or something different Okay. And really pushing the boundaries. So it definitely stimulated me enough to enjoy it. But once things settled down in those environments or moved on or the project was completed, I just got bored immediately and saw no traction okay. in terms of staying around and become general management material. So it was like, move on, try something else. Um, yeah, I'm again, apologies in advance for this. I absolute mainline the, the Kool-Aid for, for Square. Uh, I, I love what we've been able to build in Australia. Um, I love that, that I had the opportunity to build it from myself up to a team who I'm very proud of. Sure. Um, so I think the short answer to that is 
rather than taking stuff that I learned from all those experiences, I actually took the negatives of those experiences. Okay. So I worked out what I didn't want the environment to be yep. uh, and what I thought uh, was required to build a positive, proactive uh, and high high scale culture. So yeah, a lot yep. of learnings on the way, but it still it doesn't prepare you for something like Square. I think, you know, taking the reins of such an amazing company and starting from scratch is a whole new thing really seen in, in Australia. So yeah, sure. a lot of challenges. Yeah, and that's really interesting because uh, Warren Buffett's business partner, Charlie Munger, talks about the circle of competency where it's more important to know what you're not competent in um, than to know what you are competent in. So that's a really interesting approach that you've taken. And you started Kinetic Innovation as a founder as well. So I guess you've brought that experience being an entrepreneur and founder to your time at Square as well, and which helps, I presume, relate to and empathize with the small businesses that you're helping out. Could you talk about some of your experiences founding Kinetic and uh, yeah, why you eventually decided to to jump onto Square from founding your own company? Sure, I think some of the lessons were a little bit more subtle for me okay. with, with Kinetic. And I think it one of the biggest lessons which led me to Square or led me to understand the approach at Square was a little bit of an abstract one. But when I was first, I went to a bank, won't say who it was, but it was blue. Sure. Um, <laughs> and I went to a bank to open a transactional account. Uh, I'd been in this bank for many years. Uh, they saw my history of employment, et cetera. I must have been deemed a relatively low risk, but maybe not. Uh, and I called up so I want to open an account. And the bank manager said, come in, let's have a chat. And I thought, that's weird. I haven't walked into a bank branch for many years, but sure, maybe it's customer service thing. So I went in there and probably about an hour into the conversation, I realized I was effectively being questioned on my business case. And okay. obviously in technology, the, no disrespect to the bank manager, but he would have no idea what I was talking about. So. Yeah. But soon realized they were basically interrogating as to whether I was worthy of this account to put money in. Didn't want to borrow anything. Uh, and that's wow. exactly. So when I sort of went to work for Square, I knew that this theory that, you know, banking facilities uh, and, you know, access to being able to do payments or any sort of economic tools wasn't as positive as we thought it was if you're just, you know, traveling the, the normal path. So it, it was hard, that part of it. Um, but the biggest lesson for me starting the business is how hard it is. Um, right. I think... It's easy to work out what you're passionate about. Uh, it's very hard to take that first step. Uh, and for me, it was huge. I did it at absolutely the wrong time. I had mm. a young family, mortgage, everything. But I knew if I didn't take it, I'd never take it. But just it's that, that, that liberating but absolutely scary feeling of opening your computer on day one and going, everything I do, whether successful or unsuccessful, depends sure. on what I do from here on in. And that, and that feeling is... It's daunting, but it's exciting and liberating. So going from there was a, you know, every day is a learning curve, but very yeah. humbling as well. You know, I'm sure on this podcast, we're going to have a lot of Square customers and people thinking about using Square as well, who are founders and entrepreneurs in their own right. Yep. If you had a piece of advice for them from your time running Kinetic, what would that be? Uh, yeah, it's hard to avoid anything that doesn't sound too cliched, but yeah. the, the resilience thing is is absolutely the the number one thing. Resilience, uh, yeah. I, I just don't think people talk about it openly enough okay. um, in terms of, how hard it actually is. Um, and I was very confident of what I was building. I knew I was subject matter expert, so I could do it. Uh, but there's days where they're incredibly dark, like right. where, where you're thinking, what have I done? This is clearly not the right choice. I could have followed a very easy path and be on a very comfortable salary. Jeez, yeah. What am I doing? Um, but then there's the massive highs of when you start getting that first bit of traction and that little bit of momentum. Uh, and then it's just that ability to withstand the highs and the lows to just keep the course. Uh, and it's so easy to say, and it, but it's so hard to do anyone starting a business because very few businesses just rock it from the start, right? And sure. The majority of them struggle to get traction and it's based on your input. But even the little things like you know, your family or your friends asking, how's the business going? And yeah. that, do I tell them that I had a terrible day today? Do I tell yeah. them I'm having doubt? All that sort of stuff is very, very hard to deal with. So 
I love it when you see small businesses get together and, and talk more about it. But absolutely the best part of my job now is hearing about the thousands and thousands of Australian small businesses that are doing that. They're following their passion. It's, it's deeply uh, enriching to be able to hear those stories every day. Jumping into Square, I'm sure this is what uh, everyone's waiting for on the podcast. You joined Square in 2014 and uh, Square launched in Australia in 2016, March 2016. What happened in those two intervening years? Sure. Uh, I mean, at the very start, there was a bit of back and forth to San Francisco, working out a little bit more about the Australian market, questioning whether the business case was um, substantiated. Sure. Uh, but once all that stuff sort of kicked in and we were ready to go, it was literally that that moment where back on my dining room table again, opening up my computer going, oh, here we go. Um, but it was about getting all that basic fundamental stuff right. Now, the Square is best known for its simplicity. The products mm. are incredibly easy to use, incredibly fair. Um the whole onboarding experience is very simple. Everything is as simple as possible to make it easy for anyone to use. But to get that sort of simplicity is incredibly hard. Right. So we are a hardware and a software business. They're sure. just dealing in payments and financial services in a heavy, heavily regulated and competitive space. So you put all those things together and there's a heap of work in getting that done. That then is you have to then, I guess, parallel all the traditional things you need to start a business where are we going to be? Where are we going to launch? What's the launch look like? What does the team look like? What does right. the structure look like? What are the economics, the pricing, the distribution? The uh, it's, it's just a massive, massive list of work to do. Uh, so I think credit to, I guess, the management at Square. The philosophy was very clear from day one. It was like, we're not looking for a short-term quick win to get out of there. We weren't looking for an exit as a company. So sure. I was very clearly being given, I was given the mandate build this business to be around for thousands of years. Like do yep. what is right to build the base and then we can go from there. So definitely had a bit of time doing that. Um, but also just launching financial services in the Australian industry is, um, I joke about this now, yep. uh, but it's highly not recommended. Like it's, okay. it's incredibly difficult to do any fintech in the Australian space. I have an immense amount of, uh, I sort of, I'm very, very impressed with them taking it on because it's hard. Okay. It's very, very hard to do. Uh, and we were a massively well-capitalized, high-growth, high-profile company, uh, and it was hard for hard, hard for us and hard for me. So yep. a lot of respect for those other ones. But yeah, scaling through that, there's a lot of different lessons through it. But again, hard graft, right people, scaling right. Yeah, you know. absolutely. And you were here for an event uh, just a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago at YBF, and yes. uh, you mentioned how difficult it was for a fintech company to get off the ground as well. Could you give some examples of what those hurdles were in the early days and how you managed to overcome those hurdles to, to launch Square into the market? Sure. Um, if you take a macro look at the Australian financial services industry, it is well publicized, dominated yep. by four very large banks. Absolutely. Um, and that on the plus provides our industry is a lot of stability. Our financial service industry is very stable. Uh, they're actually really innovative. Um, but with such big organizations dominate the industry, what happens for such a long period of time is that the industry is formed around them and for them and by them. So that that's an absolutely perfect model where it, where it encourages self-regulation, encourages different regulatory entities to serve them. Uh, it encourages them to sit on the boards and the panels of all these things, which is great. And it's what you need to do because you need to own your industry and make sure it's safe and sustainable. Um, but what happens is when someone new tries to enter that market sure. um, with something that is different, a lot, of, a lot of the processes and procedures kind of fall over. You know, looking for, okay, have you got this much financial backing to enter the market? Have you got right. a product that looks exactly like ours? If you're doing something different, we don't have a form for that. 
just those basic things. So I think we we faced those obstacles. So I don't blame the industry per se because okay. it just wasn't ready for something like Square to launch. Um, but we just had to break through them to make sure it succeeded. So making sure that we kept pushing because our, our, our solution is different. We do things differently. We're, we're a tech company that is becoming a financial services and software company as yep. opposed to the other way around. So yeah, a, a lot of challenges. A lot of hurdles. And uh, Square is best known for being a payment processing company. But today it's so much more than that because you also offer lending solutions to small businesses and other kinds of products. So how has Square evolved since the launch of 2016 to where it is today? The way we started, so if there's two different stories and two different narratives. Sure, yeah, go, go of, into it. Yeah. In terms of the US, so the US started just with a simple reader, right? And it's been grown over over a decade to be a platform for small businesses, all the way from you know food delivery services to point of sale to access to capital to P2P with cash to Bitcoin trading, you name it, the list goes on. Sure. Uh, in, the, in, the, in Australia, we were very strategic the way we were going to launch in terms of Definitely, we were like kids in a candy store going, I want all these awesome products. Yep. But very aware as well that if you launch with too much too soon whilst trying to establish a brand, it becomes incredibly confusing. Mm. So what do we want to be known for? What is the most accessible, iconic part of the business? And for us was the plug into the headphone jack reader. So obviously a little bit different here because EMV market. But that was like, let's get that right. Let's get known for that like Square was 10 years ago with the plug-in reader in the US. Sure. So we started there and got that traction and make sure our brand started to grow and then slowly added on different functionality. But there's no doubt people are getting to know our brand very quickly and a lot better in Australia. A few years ago when I said I worked for Square, apart from people in fintech, it was like blank looks. Okay. Um, but now you're starting to say, people, oh, yeah, I've seen your devices around. I went to this cafe or I was at this festival or this small business, which is fantastic. Um, but just making sure you keep scaling carefully with your products um, and a logical sequence over time made a lot of sense for us. Okay. And what guides that your, your thinking and strategy around what products to launch? What kind of metrics do you use or, or how do you form your decision-making processes around those decisions to roll out different products? Sure. A lot of them, it's what is required for the product. So a lot of the products, they're great to cross-sell and to build off a base. So okay. if that's an obvious one, mm -hmm. uh, like access to capital, for example, there's no point trying to access that if you're leveraging data to make decisions on providing capital right. to if you didn't have a base. Um, so there's some products that stood out. We've got to get started with this and making sure that payments backbone was there. And then you can scale with more diverse products over time. Um, our company is a very rigorous company in terms of doing the, the correct due diligence from a quant perspective. Uh, but it's also, there's a lot of very, very talented people in the organization who can rationalize decisions very quickly and make sure that they execute very quickly as well. So we're certainly not a company that gets stuck on, you know, uh, analysis over time. Like we, we definitely make quick, fast decisions on it, um, but we make sure that they're backed by data as well as the qualitative side of it. Uh, and yeah, making sure that we're clever the way we launch it to make sure there's a sequence involved, not just a, a burst of products. Ben, you started as the Australia general manager for Square. Now you're Asia Pacific. Um, you know, sounds like a pretty, pretty massive change in your responsibilities and remit. How has your role evolved? What's your day to day look like today versus a couple of years ago? And being such, such a front facing personality and such a big leader for such a company. What what it's like is, and again, apologies for the over the top, but I I, I definitely one of those people that think they've got the best job in the world. I'm very privileged um, to have the role I have, um, but I'm also very privileged I had the opportunity to build the team around me, sure. which was very important to me if we we're going to succeed. And so I, I love coming to work every day. I'm surrounded by ridiculously hardworking people, very smart people who are incredibly gifted, uh, but people that are there for the right reasons as well. So I'm not inheriting a team that which might be a mix of high and low performers or mm. people that are motivated or not. 
uh, I've been able to sort of almost handpick the team to bring it together. So uh, there was a lot of rationale that went into that. So not only are we firing on all cylinders with a great team, yep. uh, but the culture and the dark science of what a culture is has come together really nicely. It's not without change and evolution, but it's come together really nicely. So for me, it's awesome yep. <laughs> working there. Um, most notably, the biggest market that we have around here is Japan. So um, interesting. Sorry, the biggest market that I've taken on yep. since Australia. And so for us, uh, Japan is, I, I mean, it's an incredible country. Everyone's right. been there. You can't help but be impressed by it. Uh, funnily enough, whilst they're ahead on pretty much every innovation you can think of, uh, in the payment space, they're actually behind. Okay. Uh, but Square's been in there for a number of years, so started to really establish a solid brand and a solid base. But right now, the Japanese government, for example, has recognized that they need to start increasing this. They're behind on card utilization. Uh, electronic commerce is way behind where it should be. Um, so they're really starting to invest in the industry ahead of the Olympics that are coming up. Right. Um, so you're seeing huge growth, uh, but a very, very exciting space. So uh, when you start scaling quickly within a market that's scaling quickly, there's yep. a whole new level of intrigue uh, and, and interest involved with that. So thoroughly enjoying just approaching it differently because whatever you learnt from Australia or the US doesn't automatically translate to, to Japan, but we have a great team there as well. Sure. And a big part of your role is building those teams from day one. What's your philosophy behind team and culture and how do you... How do you create a high-performing team that also has the right values? Yeah, um, I break it down to just hiring good people who are incredibly driven. Mm. Simple to say, very yeah. hard to Hard to implement, for. Yeah. yeah. Hard to implement, hard to interview for as well. Uh, but anyone that I've interviewed will attest to this. It's, it is more of a conversation and it's less about, uh, I think I talked about this last time, but uh, it's less about saying, have you done this job before? Okay. Because I don't think I can find people that have done what we needed to do in Australia. This is not that. Increasingly sure. there is, but there's, at that point, there wasn't that skill set to say, have you scaled a high growth fintech in Australia that's taking on incumbents, et cetera. Um, so I based it on finding people who were incredibly driven and the drive could come from anywhere, but they're incredibly smart. So most cases very well educated, but mm. just that sense of they've got a chip on their shoulder. They want to achieve something in their lives. They want to work hard. And they want to achieve something that's special. The other part about Square is we very, very strong and make sure our products are fair and reasonable and we're looking out for businesses. So you won't see penalty clauses or locking contracts or anything nasty in there. Sure. We don't get everything right, but no nasties in there. And people that gravitate towards Square also have that shared view of how can we help small businesses grow. So getting those types of people together, um, I think is the first step you need to do to build a strong culture. And, and ultimately, I don't think you can fabricate culture. I don't think you can create it, but you can add the right layers to let it evolve into something. And that ultimately is people. It's their personalities, it's the way they work, it's their ethics, their background. So you put people together that are a healthy mix of diversity and then you see how that evolves. And you hope that it's a positive culture. Yep. And I'm thrilled to say the way they work together, they self-motivate and they propel each other on as well by their high worth standards. So that becomes a self-propelling um culture and that's the best one because you can't constantly motivate people as a leader it's just it, it run you run out of gas at some right. point so to to kick start it to set some parameters but then let the talent just emerge and motivate each other i think is the is the best step you can take yep and speaking of work ethic uh based on joe harrington's research here our great producer uh it, it seems that in the early days of square australia your team actually went onto the ground and met small business owners face to face rather than just cold calling or anything like that and that's such a different approach to, to business here in Australia, where I think people are conditioned to the large companies being in charge of financial services. So, you know, did, did you find that approach was necessary for Square in the early days? A hundred percent. And when I started, that was just a philosophy to say, okay, 
we could just do it from behind our computers. We could scale using, you know, effective paid marketing. We could get that organic up. We could grow via the traditional channels. You'd scale a tech-ish company. Mm. Um, but the theory was, I think, if to build a solid brand that had a personality behind it, we have to be out there and we have to be talking to businesses. So absolutely everyone in my team for at least the first few years would go out and talk to small businesses, understand what their concerns were, help them plug in their devices. Sure. Countless stories of you know, our team running down to help cafes when their Wi-Fi dropped out. Uh, not our job at all, but that could help them and help build trust in our brand. Yeah. So I uh, did a lot of that. Uh, I purposely didn't have a sales team for at least sort of two and a half years or two years since the initial launch. Uh, and the strategy was there. I didn't want to say, okay, it's that team over there who's responsible good or bad for scaling okay it had to be everyone owned it so whether you were the compliance lead the risk lead the office manager the comms marketing doesn't matter mm. you should be talking to businesses and you should be understanding what they need and what they want and i think that legitimacy comes through in the relationship so that's obviously not scalable you can't yeah. keep doing that yeah you um, need a lot of people you need a lot of people to keep doing it to <laughs> many many businesses but i think if you do it right at the start it just sets that that the grassroots of what your brand stands for. Mm. And I still hear it today with people that I meet with and they say, I still remember one of your team members helped us here or, you know, we were doing a market and you needed some help with setting up and there was a person there to help me. And wow. so that sort of anecdotes, I think, propagate other other businesses and helps build your brand. So okay. I, I think it was incredibly yeah. important. The next thing I want to dive into is Square's mission because it seems really, really clear from the outside what that mission is, and that is to help support small businesses and companies. And Square started that in the payment space, but you recently launched a small business website builder as well. Correct. To the outside, it might seem like a very disparate kind of approach to, to your company. What's your thinking behind that? Yeah, I think this is one of the most impressive parts of working at Square. And I think when you're on the inside, it's very, very clear how it all fits together. Sure. Uh, and sometimes on the outside, it seems a little little bit disparate. But then over time, it starts making sense. Yep. So um, the general philosophy is we need to keep building tools to help small businesses. Whatever those tools are, sure. we just think the majority of the ones are either not there or they're skewed towards medium, large businesses and they just don't fit what small businesses need or want from mm. a pricing, from a functionality, you name it. But ultimately, if you're running a small business, technology is an incredible advantage. You can use it in many ways to run your business better, to get a distinct advantage against your competitors. But if you think of all the tools they can now use, there's tens, if not dozens of them that you could use as a small business. Sure. If you have the opportunity to use that via one platform, via one company mm. that ties it all together, that's going to be way better. Like Not only from a day-to-day -day perspective when small business owners have very limited time, but okay, if I can set up with one company and I can just plug in all these pieces and whether, and to be clear here, they can either be our products or our partner's products. Okay. We're very, very open philosophy to say, we're not building everything perfect for every business. You might need something specialized in a particular point of sale system or a particular functionality that's in tech, inventory management, you name it. Okay. We might have a solution that fits, but if you don't and you want to use one of our partners, 100%. We're okay. not going to lock you into our ecosystem and say, you have to use everything. And if you don't use everything, you're out. Uh, complete opposite. It's like, we'll try to build you good products, but if there's better ones out there, you let us know who they are and we'll connect with them. So uh, very, very strong there. But that's that platform play. You can start seeing that particularly when businesses start growing. Okay, so they might need us to just take that first payment, yep. hypothetically a pop-up or a market store, you name it. But then, hey, I have to go online. I have to build a website. Can I do that it's too? True. Wow, yeah. I can just immediately get all my inventory synced, what I've already got in my point of sale, straight across to my website and I can manage off one platform done 
Um, I need to send electronic invoices. You can do that with Square. Uh, list goes on and you start seeing all the different disparate products that Square offers. There's a link and they become more evident over time. Yep. And any other products in the pipeline they're able to share at this point in time? Yeah, really boring answer there, unfortunately <laughs> not. Um, I definitely can promise that the, it, it, it won't stop. And that's yep. something that we are very heavy on, that we have a promise to small businesses that will keep innovating yep. and keep deploying new solutions. I think this year we've already... I launched a number, so standalone, a standalone um, invoices app so people can send uh, in oh, electronic cool. invoices. Yep. Uh, we had the functionality within our point of sale, but we realized that it was not hidden, but it was often if people just wanted to do invoices, that sometimes they didn't need the rest of the services. Let's de deploy an invoices app. That just launched. Uh, Square Online Shop we just launched, so the website building solution. Mm. That was part of our Weebly acquisition, so oh, we've okay. taken that. Cool. Uh, and use the technology and integrate it with Square. So having that online, offline presence is very, very powerful in today. Yep. And are you finding that you have to tweak those products that Square is launching for the Australian market? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That, that's a fundamental thing that, I mean, the, the backbone and the basis of the functionality is yeah. pretty viable across all markets. But Square Egg is a very pragmatic company. And yeah. in San Francisco, they will immediately say, hey, we don't know your market, what your dynamics are, what the requirements are. Uh, let's just make sure the localization is done really carefully. So that's a big part of making sure we don't assume what works in the US or Canada or UK or Japan sure, yeah. is automatically going to work in Australia. You know, I think many people are familiar with Jack Dorsey being the founder of Square, also the founder of Twitter, etc. What's your relationship like with Jack Dorsey and how would you describe your interactions with him? What's, yeah, what's your working relationship like? I'd like to think it's very good. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jack, Jack to me is uh, is is definitely one of the uh, more different leaders I've worked for, but mm. without a doubt the most impressive one I've ever had the privilege of being led by. Um, a couple of things that Jack does very very well. Um, he's a very 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 good communicator. So sure. for anyone in the business, you know why you're working for Square, and you know what the long term mission is, and mm. you know what we're trying to achieve. It's very clear. Um, he's very eloquent the way he speaks uh, and he has a very good macro understanding of the business. He understands how the pieces fits together and how to motivate a team and bring together the right people. Uh, the other thing that he does incredibly well, he is very strong. This is a simple concept people talk about all the time, but very few leaders, let alone CEOs, do this. He knows how to empower his team to make decisions. Okay. He's never one to say, I want to be the smartest person in the room. I'm going to tell you how it is. Behold my knowledge. He's very much about, I've hired you to do a job because right. you're good at it. And he lets people do it. So yeah, many times we're in meetings with him and he'll let the people that own that part of the business run the meetings, run the decisions. Uh, and he'll know when and where he has to step in to make sure that we keep going the direction we need to go in. So that, that empowerment is something, it's, it's something I'd certainly take for my style as well. Mm. And um, how do you inject your own culture into the Asia-Pacific team, although you have such a high-profile leader at, at Square and such a high-profile founder? I'm sure it's, uh, it's, it must take some kind of leadership from your end as well to inject your, your personality and your philosophy into the local team. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about personality, but um, <laughs> definitely philosophy. So I think the one thing that I realized really quickly is you can't just go to San Francisco and scrape a culture off and then drop it in Australia. So we, we're not on Market Street in the middle of San Francisco during mm. a prolonged tech boom. We don't have a couple of thousand people walking around. Uh, we're not surrounded by all these amazing tech companies. And we haven't been in the market for, at that time, six or seven years. So sure. you can't just extrapolate that. There's a whole new circumstances, but there's a heap of stuff you can take. So what do we stand for? What are we trying to do? What are the learnings from other markets? 
uh, one of the things that the, the overriding principles of the business. So you, we definitely take them. We hold yep. true to them. But ultimately, we were a startup. Like it, it was literally again me on my dining room table. Very very different from a normal startup. I don't you know profess to say it was the same as starting a, a pure your own business. Yep. Um, but yeah, you're opening your laptop. You're building a team. You're bringing people together. You're you're, you're building a strategy. You have to make pricing. All those decisions have to be made. So definitely making sure the culture is right. Not only for the people that you've hired. Uh, but making sure it's right for the circumstances and the environment is very key. So we have a very different culture from San Francisco. Okay. But there are a lot of similarities at the same time. And do those cultures often clash when the Australian team meets the US team? Are they complementary? What's that dynamic like? Uh, I think anyone that's worked in different nationalities uh, and different stages, they are different. They are, yeah. Um, no, I definitely don't say they clash. Um, do we have rigorous debate and stuff? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But no, I think it complements really well where I think majority of people in San Francisco love the international narrative. And sure. Uh, they love working for Square over there, but they also get super excited by the startup culture that we've got here and how they can contribute to that. Uh, everyone at Square wants us to be a global company and yep. a successful one. Uh, and ultimately, we're all selling, we're all serving the same types of sellers, which are small businesses. Mm. Uh, so they get excited by that, and we get excited by going back over there and seeing the incredible products that are being built and the way they're scaling in a different life stage. So yeah, it's definitely complementary. Sure. Uh, a lot of startups here in Australia find it really difficult to scale internationally. And I think a lot of startups in Australia need to look internationally because the market here is often too small for their growth. You've had experience going from Square Australia to then, you know, like you said, Square Japan, Square Asia Pacific more broadly. Do you have any advice for anyone who's looking to scale their startup internationally? What are some things they need to be aware of and how can they... How can they ease the transition of that uh sure i think it, it definitely depends the advice you'd give depends on what product or service you're building mm. or scaling obviously a pure online play um you can do you can scale quickly globally with a whole different set of parameters but if you've got different things like square has in hardware and infrastructure and uh, regulation things like that you have to be very careful the way you do it sure the overarching thing i would say is just don't rush to get to that point so unless you can critically step back from your business that you've started here and say, we have the foundation that is correct, mm. we're seeing the right growth metrics locally, rushing that international scaling story is a big mistake. Okay, It might work in certain circumstances yep. uh, where you have to hasten that, but you want to see the, the green shoots coming through from a local perspective. And again, ignoring that going, because when you're launching a new market, the majority of businesses, it's a lot of effort, a mm. lot of heavy, heavy lifting the things that underpin early stage success is often around culture and motivated teams. And if you start going global too soon, that can stretch too quickly and can break and go away. You don't want to go. Right. Uh, and then you're facing a whole heap of different problems. So sure. yeah, just, I never say hold back because I'm a, a big fan of high speed growth, but yep. make sure that you're seeing the right signs, critically seeing the right signs of success in Mark before you go pushing internationally. Amazing. And what were those signs for Square Australia? I think probably if you flip it and go, what were the signs in the US before okay. they looked at something like Australia? Yep. Um, and it was exactly those types of things. Are we seeing the right traction? Are we seeing the growth in the brand at scale? It's it's one thing to see amazing percentage growth rates from a zero base or a low base. That's one thing. But then are you seeing it sustained over a long term? Okay. Have you grounded the base functionality? Is all that working really well? And now you're looking at add-on functionality and enhancements. Yep. Once you get to that stage, you can start going, okay, let's have a look if we're okay to go internationally. 
which is kind of where I came in with Australia. It was like a very loose business case. Australia looks like an interesting market. Should we do it? And then you go for that rigor. You don't waste too much time on it, but you say, what are the key things we need to get right in this market? Is it going to work? Are you going to gain traction? And what's your loose outline of how you're going to scale in Australia? I think if they there's ticks in most of those boxes, uh, it's all about just, okay, we're starting a new business. What do we need to do? And you get on with it. Yep. And uh, going from international to domestic, Square's most recent focus is on regional. You've recently signed deals with people like uh, Unity Bank, Southern Cross Credit Union, uh, WW Credit Union. Why focus on regional? It's not something that a lot of startups here think about. Sure. So we, it was a funny one for us because uh, ultimately it was an easy decision because we are about economic empowerment mm-hmm. and we're about looking at who's being underserved in the economy, who needs our help and our products. And there is no doubt that regional Australia, obviously they have their own set of complexities in changing industry, changing conditions, very, very difficult. But we started seeing this this groundswell within our existing base of there are a heap of entrepreneurs out there. Okay. And when people think about entrepreneurs, they think about tech. And that's wrong. Like entrepreneurs can be any industry right. uh, in any field and it can be starting in all different sorts of ways through necessity, um, through a, a brand new idea, you name it. And we quickly realized that people were signing up in regional areas, there was high growth rates. Okay. Obviously, there's a per capita split either way, but we started seeing some really interesting anecdotal stories from businesses in regional Australia. So the first thing we did was say, right, we need to get our products to them. Okay, some are tech savvy, some are going to go online, find our products and get it shipped to them for free and they can run their tools. Yep. But if they're not seeing our tools around more and more, they're probably not going to know it's there and how to search for it. So let's try getting out where they are. So the first thing we did was our retail partners. So our retail distribution, I think, is one of the most impressive things about our business. Okay. Our retail partners are amazing. Yep. They help us give a footprint around Australia. So, you know, if there's a if there's a Harvey Norman or a JB Hi-Fi or an Officeworks within regional Australian city or town, they can get the products. But right. what we quickly realise is that a lot of that, and we, we talk about city banks, but when you look at regional banks, they play a really important part in local communities. They okay. can be the epicentre and they're often the places that people still go for advice and, and, and making sure they get their finances right or run their business as well. Uh, so it was a two-way thing where regional banks started saying, we like what you're doing. Okay. We have no intention of trying to build that whole business within our, our service offering. So is there a play for us to collaborate? And we're like, absolutely. You're serving the base. We want to make sure we serve too. So it was a very a very collaborative and, and obvious partnerships for us. Yep. And, uh, you know, I mentioned previously that in 2017, you had 60,000 businesses. That's probably a bit outdated now, given that you're also in regional Australia and you've had another two years to build your customer base. What's that number look like now? Yeah, one of the annoying things of being in public companies, I'm not allowed to say. Okay, numbers. sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've been incredibly impressed by the sustained growth yep, that yep. we've had since then. Amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, numbers are significantly bigger than it was back then. I've got two, two more questions for you. Um, First question is, what's next for Square here in Australia and what's next for you? Uh, sure, they're probably the same thing in yeah. if we're talking about business. But um, uh, I think for us, we've gone through different phases and we kind of look at them in years, but to try to sort of bookmark them about where we're at. Mm. But the first few years are out, like no one knows who we are. Like you talk to a fintech person, they'll know who Jack Dorsey is or the Square story, but no one knew who we were. Right. Definitely small businesses didn't know who we were. One, two years in, we're starting to see that brand awareness rapidly grow. Yep. You're starting to see the product out in the wild. And one of the best things we have is very iconic hardware that people see and recognize and yeah. think about. Uh, so we're getting to that stage now. Fantastic foothold in the industry. Couldn't have asked for more, but we're only getting started. Like the, the product set has so much more use across so many more small businesses. Every day, small businesses are starting in Australia, so we have to get in front of them. So it's about using that platform and continuing to scale. 
Uh, but internally, it's about making sure we're being humble and reflective enough to go, where's our business at? What are our people doing? Are we getting complacent? Are we sort of just growing naturally and organically? Are we getting ready for the next phase? Uh, we've got the right people in place to do that next phase. And again, kind of reflecting and saying, where's our culture going? Are we that still that scrappy, hardworking startup that we used to be? Yeah. Making sure we focus on that. That's a big part. Um, and I think from a regional perspective, the really exciting stuff I'm seeing is whilst Australia and Japan are very, very different markets, seeing the way those teams start learning together and leaning on each other to help you know, grow both markets collectively has been really, really rewarding and yep. I'm seeing great traction there as well. So a bit of that, but as I said, looking forward, uh, we're really excited to keep bringing new products to small businesses and whilst I'm being annoying and not talking about them, uh, there's a heap of them more to come. So we're really excited about launching them and we promise yeah. we'll keep bringing them. Great. And uh, the last question is, if someone wanted to learn more about Square or to get started on their Square journey, what should they do? Uh, yeah, definitely go to our website. So square.com.au. Um, uh, we designed the website and the onboarding experience to be very simple. So hopefully most people are savvy enough to go and have a look at the website and go through it. They can buy the hardware. They can download the software for free. They can try it for free. They can just give it a go. Uh, we have an amazing customer support team as well. So if they've got any questions, they can call in at any time. Uh, try the product, see what fits for you. Uh, I always recommend as our capability builds out, it, it is simply put together, but don't be overawed by it. Find what works for you. And then over time, start enhancing your business. So mm. you might want to accept the payment now. Over time, start using our analytics to analyze your business, to know how to scale it, use different tools. Uh, keep going like that. And uh, yeah, hopefully Square works for your business. But yeah, Ben, thank you for being on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. If you want to get in touch with us with guest suggestions or feedback, email peoplebuildingbusinesses at ybfventures.com. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.